If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Judges, uh, the fourth chapter. Judges, the fourth chapter. We have been in a series over the last few weeks talking about superheroes of the faith. And where we get this from is from the passage in Hebrews chapter 11. It's a New Testament passage that talks about some of the great men and women of faith. And in the midst of this passage... You come to verse 32, and this is what he says. He says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, and became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. Ar, ar, Man, you read that stuff and these are the heroes of the faith. And so these are some of the heroes that we really don't talk too much about. So we want to take a look at some of these. And especially we were focusing in on verse 32 and, and we've talked about uh, Gideon. And then we talked about uh, Othel and Ehud and some of the earlier judges. And so now all of a sudden we come to uh, both two people, but we're going to focus on one. There's Deborah and Barak. And so with Deborah and Barak, they are the next in line of judges, which meant that during that time in Israel's history, they didn't have a king, but God would deliver up people that would help rule them. And what the people would do is they would be following God, and then all of a sudden they would begin to rebel against God. And once they rebelled against God, then God sent retribution. And when retribution came, then the people were oppressed for a number of years. Finally, they would repent and they'd call back to God. And then God would deliver up a judge, raise up a judge that would deliver his people. And there would be restoration and rest in the land. And throughout the book of Judges, this goes on and on and on. The people, after a time of rest, they rebel. Once they bell, rebel, there's retribution. Once the retribution, then they repent. Then once they repent, then God comes, he restores, they have a time of rest, and then they go through it on and on and on. And so at this particular time, after a time of rest, the people began to rebel. And as the people rebel, then God lifts up an oppressor to come in. And it's found here in the second verse. And it says, uh, then the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. And the commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harishim, Hagoyim. And so you begin to be introduced to a king, a Canaanite king. These guys are really pretty powerful. And he lived in an area called Hazor, but then his commander of the army is a guy named Sisera. And Sisera lives in another city, uh, uh, we just call it Double H. He lives in the Double H city over here. So they're beginning to let you know the oppression that is taking place. But look how severe it was. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. So what happened was, the people were oppressed for 20 years and a part of it was because of the military force. And they pointed out specifically that they had 900 iron chariots. Now the Israelites didn't work with iron, so they didn't have anything like this. These guys had iron chariots, which meant they were made of iron fittings, they were strong, they were powerful. And when you think of a chariot, it's not like a tank. 
You know, today when we think of tanks, tanks would come in and they'd just knock over walls and blow through places. What chariots were, they were like a mobile killing platform. And that is that they would ride in the villages and as people tried to escape, you couldn't escape. Well, the guy's got a horse, he's got a chariot, and he's either got a sword or he's got a bow and arrow. And they were just killing people left and right. It's a mobile killing platform. 900 of those. Uh, Keith, how many uh, parking spots do we have at our church? Do you know? Gosh, I, I meant to call you that and ask you that earlier, but I <laughs> thought, hey, you're getting ready to retire. I'll ask you right now. Uh, uh, we've got a lot. We've got close to 1,000 maybe? or Yeah. So you, if you took up like every space here, you put a car everywhere on our lot, it'd be oh, at least over 900 cars. So you think about that, that's chariots iron chariots and you take that force and you see it coming after you that's a scary thing and for 20 years it scared them they were oppressed and Sisera was the leader of that and so while they're oppressed all of a sudden the people began to call up to God and it says in verse 4 now Deborah a prophetess the wife of Lapidoth was judging Israel at that time she used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim and the people of Israel came up to her for judgment she was judge Judy okay uh, Deborah was she was a judge and, and people would come to her and uh, and she would you know deal with their cases and she had a certain spot where she would sit and she was very well respected but also it says that she was a prophetess which meant that she was one that would give the word of God to others. So they would come to her to get spiritual insight and also to get some judicial clarity. And it says in verse 6 that she sent and she summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulon, and I will draw out Sisera, the king of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon and his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Now, for most of you, this makes absolutely no sense because you have no idea where those places are. But I'm going to help you. All right, David, got a slide that we can put up over here so you can understand what this, what this means. Now, I don't know how good you can see that map over here, but I'm just going to point. Oh, and we got a little one over here. Now, you see where it says Hazor right there? That's where the king lives. So the king lives in Hazor. Now, Sisera lives about right over here, all right? So he's over on this section. Well, Deborah, our judge, she's way down kind of in the choir, okay? She's way farther south. But the guy that she wants to talk to is a guy named Barak who lives right there kind of near the Sea of Galilee, in that area called Naphtali, right in there. Now, he's kind of close to where the king is, so he's getting a lot of this oppression. But the two groups that are getting the most conflict are Naphtali and Zebulon. So what she said is, can you pull some people from those two tribes and let's meet at Mount Tabor, which is perfect because it's right in between the two right there, okay? It's like meeting in Columbus, Georgia or something. Okay, we're right there between Alabama and, uh, and Georgia. So meet at Mount Tabor. Now what's getting ready to happen, she says, is we've got a river that's going to be flowing around here. And uh, God's going to take Sisera and he's going to bring his armies over here. And then you guys are going to have a fight about right in there. Okay, kind of right in that area. So you see where we're at now? So we're bringing everybody together and says, I want you to bring about 10,000 folks and uh, God's going to, going to deliver you and we're going to be in, in great shape. You're going to win this great battle. So the man that she calls is a guy named Barak. Now the word Barak 
translated means lightning. It also means like the flash of a sword. So some commentators have said that Barak's name means lightning flash. And if you were here with us a couple weeks ago when I introduced this, I don't know if you were if your memory's that good, but I told you I took a personality test for superheroes, and they said that for me, my personality was flash. So uh so I really relate to this story, okay? This is he's like the flash. He is lightning flash. This is Barak. That's what his name means. And she has summoned him and asked him to come because God has called him to deliver the people and to win this battle. This is not Deborah's opinion. This is the word of the Lord. And she says, these are how the things will work out because this is what God is saying to do. Now, when she calls him, in verse 7, Deborah says, and God says, I will draw out Sisera. I will draw out. It's a word that means to lure. I will lure him. I will bring him to you. And as I lure him over here, as I bring him out to you, I will give him into your hand. I'm going to bring him, his chariots, his troops, and I'm going to give him right there into your hand. Now, if you were Barak, you've been oppressed for 20 years. Apparently, you're a warrior and a leader. Otherwise, they wouldn't have called you. Deborah calls you. You travel, you go to where she is, and she says, has not God commanded you to do this? This is what we call in business the assumptive close. Has not God commanded you to do this? So she's assuming that he knows that God has done this. She's not asking his opinion. She just says, has not God commanded you to go get 10,000 troops and to beat Sisera? His quiet time was not on the same par as her quiet time because he in his mind is thinking, how in the world is this supposed to happen? I mean, Sisera is one bad dude. And, and yet I, you're telling me that I'm going against him in 900 chariots. And this is, this is what the word of the Lord has said on there. She says, yes, this is, this is what, what we're saying. Okay. Now Barack is in the hall of fame of faith, but he has some questions and look at his responses. His response in verse eight is this. He says to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. He said, okay, I'll put a little contingency on there. If you go with me, then I'll go. But if you don't go with me, I'm not going. You know, God didn't put that in his command. God said, you're the one, you're the one that's going to go. His response is, I'm not going to go unless you go with me. He said, why does he want Deborah? Well, Deborah, was, she was a person of respect and of authority. And his thinking was, if you'll come with me and I try to summon people to fight this battle, if they know you're by my side, that'll add a lot more uh, oomph to it. That'll give some authority to it. Plus, you're the mouthpiece for God. So if you come up over here, people will believe that God's in this. So I really want you to be a part of that. But see, the initial call for a step of faith was for him just to say, I will, I will do that. But he didn't. What he did was, he said, I'll go if you go with me too. Deborah, in her wisdom, says this in verse 9. And she says, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you're going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sisera Sisera, into the hand of a woman. Now, to understand that. The great honor in battle is not only that you win the battle, 
but you take down the leader. And whoever takes down the leader gets the most honor. And Deborah says, you're going to win the battle, but you're not going to take down the leader. A woman is going to do that. Now, if you're just reading this for the first time, who do you think that woman is? It's going to be Deborah. Okay? I'm thinking it's Deborah. But what you learn is she's not like Zena, the warrior princess or whatever over here. Deborah doesn't strap on a bunch of armaments and go into battle. What she does is she goes with him up to the help recruit the troops, and then that's it. And so it says, then Deborah, she arose, she went with Barak to Kadesh, and Barak called out Zebulon, Naphtali to Kadesh, and 10,000 men went up at his heels, and Deborah went up with him. And there they were at Mount Tabar. And then out of the clear blue, in verse 11, we get introduced to somebody else. Now Heber, the Kenite, had separated from the Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak in Zanin, which is near Kadesh. Really? Why are we putting that in there? <laughs> Hold on. You're getting ready to understand that one. Okay. We just throw that in there. It's what we call foreshadowing. All right. Now we'll take a commercial. Then we come back. Now, look at this. Verse 12. So when Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, he called out all his chariots, 900 of them, and all the men who were with him from Double H to the river Kishon. He says, I'm hearing that they're, they're, they're rattling their swords for battle. You want a battle? I'll give you a battle. I'm taking all 900 chariots, and we're coming at you. Now, they're over here, and they're coming towards Mount Tabor, and they say, we're getting ready to come, and we're going to set down this uprising, and we're going to do that like right now. Not right now. They're ready to go over there. Woo! They're ready for quite a battle over here. So you get to verse 14. And Deborah said to Barak, in essence, she says, now's the time. Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? She always says that, you know? <laughs> has not the Lord commanded you? Does not the Lord already going to go out before you? Okay. So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. Okay, military strategists, need your help over here. If you're fighting an army that's got 900 chariots, would you rather be in the mountains or be on the, on the valley? If you're fighting chariots, where would you want to be? I think I'd want to be on the mountains. If I'm down the valley, it's a mobile killing platform. So where did God tell him to go? Leave the mountain, kind of go towards the valley. You're outmanned, you're outgunned, and you're outpositioned. Okay, God, I'm liking this right now. But she says, Lord's going to be with you. This is what God has said. And Benny believed that as he started going down the mountain, that some of Sisera's troops may have tried to get through all the trees and all that stuff, and some of the battle could take place there, but still you had to deal with all these chariots. So how do you deal with all these chariots? Look what it says in verse 15. In verse 15 it says, And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and he fled away on foot. Why? Why would you get out of your chariot and why would you flee? And how in the world did they win this battle? i got to jump you ahead a little bit. They win the battle. Just want to let you know that. And as soon as they won the battle... Deborah and Barak became Sonny and Cher, and they made a song, okay? They wrote a song, and they sang a song together, and it's recorded in chapter 5. It says, then that day, Deborah and Barak, the son of Benoam, and on that day, they sang the song. 
So they write a song and they write a song about all the stuff that happened. And so a lot of the details that we don't get in chapter four, we get in chapter five. And let me just read you a little part of the song starting in verse 19. And in verse 19, it says, Then the kings came and they fought. Then fought the kings of Canaan at Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo. And they got no spoils of silver. Here's the reason. From heaven, the stars fought. From their courses, they fought against Sisera. The torrent Kishon River swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon, march on my soul with might. And then loud beat the horse's hooves with the galloping, galloping of his steeds. What that says is God sent an incredible rain and this storm. And as it began to rain harder and harder, the river Kishon began to overflow. And as it overflowed, then this valley, which was so hardened for the chariots to ride on all of a sudden became a bunch of muck and mire and all the torrential rains came and the chariots were worthless because they were stuck in the mud the phrasing it uses for the horses and all them galloping it's like a word of panic and so everybody's panicking and, and so the horses are, are panicking and they're, th- and they're throwing riders and they're breaking away from the chariots and they're running all over the place and then that's when kind of the slaughter took place and Barak won the victory because what God had done is he had taken out all the chariots because he controlled the weather. However, Sisera, he escaped. And this is the guy you want to get. If you want to get the honor, you've got to get Sisera. You've got to get the guy that escaped. It says, but Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Where do you remember seeing Heber the Kenite? Verse 11. They introduced Heber the Kenite. He's a guy who didn't like Israel. He kind of broke away, and he lived over there in, a, in an area kind of close to, uh, to where Barak's from. And so he doesn't really like Israel. He broke away from him, but he's friendly to, the, to King Jabin. He is, but his wife, she's not really that crazy about him. And it says, for there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber, the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera, and she said to him, turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, do not be afraid. Now he's running for his life. You know he's got to get, he's getting tired. And she says, this is a safe place of refuge, come on into my tent. So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. So she's she you know lay down put a little blanket on you make you feel comfortable and she said to him please and he said to her please give me a little water to drink for i'm thirsty so she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him i mean this was even better than water she says i'll give you milk you say i want water hey i got a coke oh it's even better so she gave him something good to drink so he's sitting there he's drinking it and when you read chapter five it says that it was even in a noble cup so she gives him to show that she honors him gave him the milk and, uh, and then he told her, you stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, is anyone here, you say no. Said, okay. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand, and then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. And then one of the strong passages of Scripture says, So he died. (laughs) I remember years ago reading this this passage, and I went to a translation called the American Revised Standard, and you know what it says? It says, he swooned and he died. 
I don't think that's a swoon. Tent peg in your head is not a swoon. JL, this stay-at-home mom, grabs up a tent peg and a hammer and just takes him right through the temple. Now, during that day, the women many times were the ones that put the tents up. So they knew how to use a hammer. They knew, uh, knew how to use a tent peg. And this enemy of Israel who was laying here, who'd caused so much depression for 20 years, she's got him right where she wants him. She reaches over and takes him out. Now, uh, now it's interesting. You know, some of you are saying, wow, what a sermon for the graduates over here. <laughs> hey, guys, just be glad I was gone last week. This was going to be my Mother's Day sermon. So... We could have really done some great stuff with that uh, over here. But, uh, you know, I read one of the commentaries that, you know, just reading commentaries is, I know for many people it's boring, but for me it's a hoot because I love to see what some people say. And this is what one of the commentaries says. Although JL's action was a startling violation of the law of hospitality, (laughs) a startling violation of the law of hospitality? hospitality oh our tent is open come on in check that box off oh need somewhere comfortable got a rug put it over them no check that one off over here want something to drink oh i got you some milk carry that to you there oh check that off tent peg to the head no it's not quite on the list over here you just violated the laws of hospitality but what she did was she took him out and then after she took him out here comes barack because you see Brock, what he did was he traveled all the way to the double H where this guy lived on the other side of Israel and they won the victory, but he never found Sisera because what he did was Barak went west and Sisera went northeast. So then Barak had to come all the way back and he's chasing him and all of a sudden he gets to that same oak tree and jail standing outside the tent saying, Hey, you looking for Sisera? I says, yeah, he's right in here. He pulls his sword. He's ready. And he walks in. This guy's impaled on the ground right there. And she says, hey, here he is. You take him. He's yours. And who did the honor go to? The honor went to J.L. And she even gets mentioned in the song. Because she's the one that took out Sisera. So the battle was won. But the great honor went to J.L. So you've heard this story and you're looking at yourself saying, okay, now how does this relate to me? over here as superhero of faith. How does this relate to me as a student that's just graduated from high school, getting ready to go off to college to the next step? Let me tell you how this relates to all of us. Are you ready? There's a number, few points here I want to share with you. Number one, at times God commands you to do the improbable. At times God commands you to do the improbable. And I'm focusing on Barak and not on JL, okay? I'm not saying God's going to tell you to go take tent pegs and, uh, and go through people's temples. But I'm telling you that he may call you to do the improbable just as what he did with um, Barak. When, uh, when Deborah contacted him, she says, God has commanded you to step up and to attack Sisera and remove this man who has been oppressing us. You will be outmanned, outgunned, outpositioned, but this is what God's asking you to do. And I want to tell you, as a believer in Christ, there will be times in your life that God will ask you to do the improbable. If you look close at this passage, he didn't ask, he commanded. It wasn't a suggestion, it was a command. And there are going to be some times for you during these years of college 
that God's going to command you to do the improbable. Now, a lot of people are putting a lot of hooey in your brains saying that, um, you know, college is just about four years, five years, some six years uh, of, of where you're just going to go out, going to have fun, kind of discover yourself and, and, and get away from your spiritual roots. And then you come back and you get married and you have kids and then you come back, back to church. There's the only thing wrong with that, and that's just that it's wrong. And there's nothing in Scripture that says, hey, take a little sabbatical from the faith. What Scripture says is that when you move from one chapter to the next chapter, it's the same God who got you to this part is the same God that's going to be leading you during these next years as to wherever you are. And it's the same God that is saying, I will ask you and command you to do some things that you may seem to be improbable. Let's not just tell you as a college student, you can have such a lasting impact on people's lives that will blow you away. You think you've impacted people's lives in high school? To me, it pales in comparison to what you can do in college. There are people in this congregation that can stand up and they can tell you by verse by verse, verbatim, individuals who touched their life in college that still carry an impact today. You can do the same thing from a spiritual standpoint. And for all of us here, Whatever chapter we are in our life, God is going to command us to do some things that are improbable. And one of the things he commands us to do, which is what I said in the prayer, is that we are to be a light and a light in a dark world. And when it says we're to be a light, what it means is that we are to be a reflection. We are to reflect the light of Christ. You are not to radiate the light of Christ just by showing up. You relate, you radiate and reflect the light of Christ by spending time with him and being filled with his Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit covers you, then you will be this incredible radiating light. And you see, if you're not growing, you won't be glowing. And so if you're not going to grow in your Christian life, then you won't be glowing in your Christian life. And this is the same whether you're at home, whether you're in your job, whether you're in your neighborhood. We need to be growing in our walk with Christ. And so what's going to happen is that God is going to, uh, going to give us these opportunities. There was a statement by Mark Wilcox in one of the commentaries that jumped out at me. It says this, Our great enemy whom we cannot see destri- des- desires to destroy us with iron chariots which we can see. Our great enemy, Satan, desires to destroy us. And we can't see Satan. But yet we can see his iron chariots that he puts out there that can destroy us. What those iron chariots are, those are things in our lives that cause us to question the things of God, that cause us to feel oppressed, that cause us to back off of any challenge. Because when we look, we see that iron chariot and we go, gosh, no, I I can't do that. And for 20 years, the people were oppressed because they had 900 iron chariots. They had 900 iron chariots. And there are things in our lives that when someone throws a challenge out to you and say, take that step of faith for God, we go, nah, I can't. Mm, I got that. He said, whatever that is out there, whatever that charity, whatever that is that causes me fear, whatever that is that, that says, you know, no, I just got that either low self-esteem or I've got this going or that going. Some things that I've got that I just, no, no, I just can't. I can't get past that. Man, Satan's going to throw those things up. And the same ones that he burdened you with in high school, guess what? When you get to college, those iron chariots are parked right out there in the parking lot. And he's going to try to keep you from doing the things that God desires for you to do. They oppress people, and they're oppressing people today. Iron chariot. 
So what are you supposed to do? When God gives you this command to do something improbable, what should you do? I'm going to give you some things, and they rhyme, so maybe it'll stay with you. Are you ready? Number one, always be prepared. Always be prepared. This is where the first thing jumps out at me when I look at this story. Here's Barack. For 20 years, they've been oppressed. He's sitting over there. He's been a warrior. He's been a leader. 20 years, they've been oppressed. You know, I could just let myself go. You know, nothing's going to change. It's been bad for 20 years. All of a sudden, he gets a phone call. He gets it from Deborah, and she says, you need to come right now because God has commanded you to draw up 10,000 people, and we've got to go fight the battle. She didn't give him six months to get in shape. She didn't say you got six months to get in fighting shape. She didn't say you got six months to clean up your reputation. She didn't say you got six months to build your integrity and to be able to hear and and build those bridges on people that you have wronged. She said, I need you right now. This is when it is. It's right now. And can I say to both the students and to all of us here, this is why it's so important to have a daily walk with God because there'll be times when it'll come up to where God says, now is the time. Now is the time. And he says, I need you to step up right now. You need to be prepared. You can't sit there and say, well, that's a really good idea, God. But, you know, I'm just not in spiritual shape to do that. I'm not in physical shape to do that. I'm not in a mental, emotional state to do that. He says, be prepared. And Barack was prepared. The first thing he says is that he was prepared. But the second thing is it's okay to be scared. We talk about superheroes of the faith. Now, you guys, have any of y'all watched superheroes on TV or, or read superhero comic books? Even superheroes there get scared. There's some things where they get a little scared. And superheroes of the faith, just read through all these people in the Bible. You know, in God's Word, they always bring out the great things, but then they also bring out the difficult things about people and their, and their flaws. And for Barack, he made the Hall of Fame of Faith. But he was scared. Wouldn't you be? I mean, Sisera, he's bad. He's bad. You know, it's like Jim Croce song. <laughs> you know, you don't tug on Superman's cape. You don't spit in the wind. You don't pull the mask off the old Lone Ranger. You don't mess around with Sisera. And, I mean, nobody wanted to mess with this man. And he's got 900 iron chariots. And if you were writing this story and you were going to make the Hall of Fame man Barack, And you had Deborah contact him, and he stepped into her presence, and she says, has not God commanded you to get 10,000 men, go to Mount Tabor, and that he's going to draw Sisera to you, and you're going to win this battle? You would have expected a Rudy answer, wouldn't you? And the Rudy answer was, when Rudy was standing in the tunnel, getting ready to go out there to play that game that he dreamed about, all of a sudden this guy grabs him by the face mask and says, are you ready for this? He says, I've been ready for this all my life. I'm waiting for Barack to say, I'm looking for that in the passage. I'm waiting for him to say, I've been ready for this all my life. I've been waiting for this for 20 years. I'm ready to go. You know what he said? Unless you go with me, I ain't going to go. I want a woman to come with me. And um, I think that your respect and authority is going to be a big help. But, and I'm not just asking. I'm telling you, if you don't go, I'm not going to do it. He's in the Hall of Fame, folks. He's the Hall of Fame of Faith. He's scared. It's okay to be scared. When God asks you to do something that's so God-sized, it is going to scare us. I get scared. 
I get scared going in some situations to where they say, you're, you're getting ready to come in and to see some people or, or meet with people in a certain situation that may question some things about Scripture that maybe I don't know all the answers or, or some things have happened in their life and they say, Pastor, what is the answer to this? Sometimes I get scared on that. Sometimes when I go into gatherings, I get a little scared about exactly what am I going to say? Am I going to say it, say it just right? And, and, and Lord, you've asked me to do this and I'm just dependent on you. Yeah, we get scared. And that's okay. Always be prepared. It's okay to be scared. Just don't let your fear be a snare. Just don't let your fear be a snare. What I mean by that is whatever this fear is that you have, don't let it become a trap to where it embraces and encompasses you and keeps you from doing what God wants you to do. I don't think God's intimidated by saying, you know, this is kind of scary, Lord. I think God would come back and say, I know it's a God-sized assignment, but I want you to depend on me. You see, if Deborah went, her presence would have been a help. Uh, She would help him with the respect and authority. However, God did not say that Barak needed anything else. He just says, you're to to depend on the hand of the Lord. And how tragic it would have been if she had said, no, I'm I'm not going to do that. I can't work that into my schedule. Then Barak probably said, we're not going to do it. And the people would have continued to be oppressed. When God wants to use you, you must be willing, even if you don't feel adequate for the task, or maybe what you've done in the past, or your limited gifting, or your inhibitions, you need to go forward and say, God, I will do this. Don't dwell on your inadequacies, and don't be overwhelmed by your obstacles. Remember, God is greater than your difficulties. And whenever a challenge comes, our first response is, usually to get a little bit scared and then we begin to look for excuses and we let those fears overwhelm us and we don't do anything great for God and there's a lot out there that God wants us to do and you look at how dark our world is today I think a lot of that darkness is because we've really not done anything great for him there's a lot of great things God wants us to do and we're just not doing it we're not stepping up we're not willing to take that step of faith We're too fearful, and it's become a snare, and that's the end of the conversation right there. But listen, if you'll always be prepared, it's okay to be scared. Just don't let your fear be a snare. And why is that? Because the Lord goes before you, constantly be aware. The Lord goes before you, constantly be aware. Always, always, always know that the Lord has already gone before you. And you know, that's exactly what Deborah said to him. Do you not know the Lord has already gone before you? When it was time to get up and do the fight, when they had 10,000 men and they're at Mount Tabor, and they said, you ready, guys? You ready to make this happen? Deborah says, let me just give you a word of a reminder. She says, the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go before you? No question who is in charge of this battle. Does not the, has not the Lord gone before you? Let me tell you something else that's kind of exciting. Sisera had lived in this region for 20 years at least. He knew the seasons. He knew when it rained. He knew when it didn't rain. It's very predictable in the Middle East where you got a rainy season, you got a dry season. When they saw that the swords were being, rabored, uh, uh, the swords were being shaken over there and rattled at Mount Tabor... He came and he said, I'm taking all 900 chariots. You know why? It's because it's most likely it's the dry season. And in the dry season, we never have to worry about rain, so let's bring the chariots. So he brings the chariots. And guess what God does? 
God, the one who controls everything, <laughs> says, you know what? I'm going to drop a rainstorm at a time when no one would expect a rainstorm. And he brings a torrential rainstorm, a flooding of the river, and all of a sudden it wipes out all of his chariots. Who'd have guessed it? Zechariah 4.6, not by might nor by my power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. God says, I've gone before you. I'm going to win this victory for you. I don't know about you, but that gives me a great comfort. No, he's already gone before me, and he says, I'll win the victory for you. The task ahead of you is never greater than the power that's behind you. And whatever task it is that you have, the power of God that is behind you will help you to do the work he's called you to do. Close out two quick things. Number two, lack of faith forfeits God's blessings. That's a true lesson out of this passage. Lack of faith forfeits God's blessings. God wanted to bless him. You're going to get the honor of winning the battle. You'll get the honor of taking out the captain of the forces. But you lost that. Yes, we won the battle. That's good. But you lost the blessing over here. God in his goodness is constantly looking for opportunities to give good gifts to men and women, yet because of their lack of faith, they forfeit these blessings that God desires to give to them. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be like in heaven as the different people say, you know, what will, what will, we, what will we talk about, about from our past lives or whatever. But, you know, a part of me thinks, what if I, when I got there, God begins to open up this room and he says, now here's all the blessings that I had for you, Danny. And these are the things that I had for you while you were there on earth that you forfeited because you just didn't have the faith to do it. I laid it out to you. But you decided not to do that. You decided it was too difficult. You decided it wasn't worth the hassle. It wasn't worth the risk. And he said, I just want to show you what you had over there. Can you possibly imagine? And I'm not talking about financial blessings. I'm talking about an opportunity to impact this life and this life and this life and this life and help this situation and help these people over here and to do this. He says, all of these things you had, he says, but, but you know, we, we kind of lost that. Lack of faith forfeits God's blessings. And the very last thing is, bold faith blesses others. Bold faith blesses others. One of the great things about this particular story, we focused on Deborah and Barak, Okay. God's mouthpiece calls Brock. He's the warrior. He leads them. They win. They win this great victory. And if you come to chapter 5, verse 31, the very last verse says this, and the land had rest for 40 years. The land had rest for 40 years. Why did the land have rest for 40 years? Because one man, Barak, stood up when called and says, I'll go do it. That's why he's in the Hall of Fame of Faith. Is he perfect? No. Was his faith perfect? No. But when it came time, came time to do what God called him to do, he did it. And when he did it, there was not just a victory parade for Barak. There was rest for the land for 40 years. You've been oppressed for 20, now you got rest for 40 years. Folks, I just want to remind you that when you have bold faith, God desires his people to step out boldly in faith. And when you step out in bold faith, 
you will bless multitudes of people that you don't even know about. When you make a stand for injustice, think about the number of people's lives who are changed because you made the stand for injustice. You think about when you take that bold step of faith and you share the wonderful gospel with someone and you're so nervous about it and all of a sudden God gets a hold of their heart and, and, and brings it all together and by his grace they are saved, you have just changed their life and all of a sudden not just them but then the people that are around them and then later on they get married and they got a Christian wife, they raise Christian kids and then all of a sudden it begins to expand and expand and they all come back and they say, it was that time when I was 19 years old on a college campus and there was a student who grew up in in Alabama in Birmingham with the Shades Mountain Baptist Church and just explained to me what it meant to have a relationship with God. And I'm thankful for that person and it has impacted generations because of that. I'm telling you, bold faith blesses others. Superheroes of faith, folks. Every one of us can be a superhero of faith. Let's just be prepared. It's okay to get scared. Just don't let that fear be a snare to you, be a a trap to you, okay? And know, always be aware that God goes before you, and he will give you that victory. Let me ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes for just a moment. Father, thank you so much for your word and for the power of your word. And uh, our prayer is that you speak to our hearts and you help us to respond as you have commanded us and led us to do that. And to know that whatever challenges that you've given us, you have already gone before us. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.